0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of reno Whites. My name is Connor McQuibby. I'm your host, as always. reno is the podcast where I talk to all different kinds of people from Reno and the surrounding area, northern Nevada, try to have a variety of guests, a little bit of something for everyone. This week on the podcast, I am excited to welcome back Michael Moberly. Michael is my first returning guest to the podcast. He was actually on, I don't know, about a year and a half ago or so. He is a local beverage expert, a beverage innovation manager at Monin, which is a global flavored syrup company, the largest family owned company of that type in the world. And they have a giant production facility and offices here in Sparks and Spanish Springs. So Michael came on the show to talk about what he's doing there now, Reno's bar industry, the possibilities of making a living as a bartender in the new world of craft cocktails and such. Really great to have him back on the show. Super cool guy and it was just great to be able to catch up and see what he's working on now. Lots of great stuff. We also talked about inclusivity in the bar world, the possibility of having a cannabis lounge here in northern Nevada, about the difference between Reno and Las Vegas, drinks and bar-wise, whole bunch of different stuff. Also, Monin is out in Spanish Springs, and we talked a little bit about outside the McCarran Loop for the first time in a while. Very often on the show we talk about downtown, midtown, but a lot of people are moving to Reno and don't actually live or come downtown very often. So great to be able to talk about some of the other neighborhoods as well, including Spanish Springs. If you have any suggestions for guests, please reach out. You can send me an email anytime, Connor, C-O-N-O-R at renoites.com. And definitely follow me on Instagram. That is the best place to keep up with what's going on with the podcast. And you can shoot me a message there as well. Very easy way to get hold of me on Instagram. That is at renoites. And now this week's guest, Michael Moberly. Michael Moberly, welcome back to Renoites. You are my first returning guest on the show. Good to have you back. Repeat offender, Michael Moberly. Happy to be here. Yeah. So we're recording this time. I think it was Zoom last time because it was the middle of the pandemic. Or or, yeah, yeah, it was was remote. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But now we're in person and we are here at Monin, which is where you're working now. That's right. And uh, excited to learn about it. I came and visited you a couple weeks ago and checked it out. It's cool stuff. We're all the way up in Spanish Springs. I think a lot of people don't know how much goes on out here.
1: There's so much industry out here. And yeah. we're, we're at my at the, at the Bond Villain level cafe we have set up here, yeah. uh, which is on the second story up on the corner of the, the industrial complex out in Spanish Springs. And so you can kind of see the whole valley. And for those of you... I was going to say watching at home, but you're not watching, you're listening. (laughs) Um, It is one of the most picturesque locations I've ever worked, for sure.
0: Oh, yeah, it's gorgeous. So for people who didn't listen to the last episode and don't know that much about you, uh, you're a a beverage guy, a a food and drink, and especially bars and beverages, and uh, Monin is in that industry. So can you just tell me a little bit about uh, your... You know your career. What do you do in the in the drink world?
1: For sure, um, I've been uh, what I refer to as a spirits educator for the past fifteen years. Um, going on, I, I've been in the beverage industry in every job, every capacity for the most part. I started, you know, booking shows at Satellite when I was like nineteen, uh, which is what is now the Loving Cup, um, and uh, now I am the beverage innovation manager here at the Sparks West Coast Monin. Uh, distribution manufacturing facility. But I I also have my own company. I do consulting and logistics called Temple Builders. Um, I'm on the board of directors for Holland Project. I write for the Reno News and Review. I write a beverage column there called Liquid Conversations. Kind of covers all things beverage and Reno. And yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've worked all over. I've taught all over. My job before this, I worked for a trade advocacy agency. So I did PR specifically aimed at, at bartenders for national brands. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what I did before this. And so it's kind of all over the place. My job now as beverage innovation manager at Monin is to come up with all the drinks you have for all the clients that we have, which is thousands and thousands of clients. We're you know, one of the largest syrup companies in the country, one of the largest in the world. We're a family-owned company, we're international. Um, there's only a handful of people in the world who have my job mm. or a similar job to it, so it's, it's a really cool and unique thing that I do.
0: Yeah, tell me more about what Monin is and what you do here at this location up here.
1: For sure, I, you know, it's funny, because when I say I work for Monin, People don't really know and then they see the bottle and they're like oh I've seen mm. that everywhere Monin principally makes syrup uh, you see it in a lot of cafes it's a French company we make everything from syrup to home crafted you know ready to drink mixers for for cocktails to smoothie mixes to purees uh, flavor concentrates all kind of beverage additives um, gourmet flavorings is the official term for it mm. but out here in Sparks it's our west coast manufacturing and distribution so we have a full production line here um we are expanding our is the plan but we have you know we everything from mexico to canada all comes through here goes out Uh, we make i mean we're making stuff all the time so
0: right how long has Monin been out here uh this is i think i want to say this is year six okay
1: i believe that yeah last year was year five so i believe yeah this is year six right but it's you know and and a big chunk of that was during the pandemic so they opened and the pandemic happened and then i kind of came back on when they reopened uh, so to speak but they you know they were making product all the way through it. But the cafe and the functionality out here, what I, for, for my position, wasn't available until, you know, everything opened up after COVID.
0: Got it, got it. So beverage innovation manager is your title. Mm-hmm. What does that entail? I always think of like, is that product development? Are you coming up with new syrups or are you you're talking about making beverages and using the syrups? Can you kind of differentiate between what the development versus the beverage innovation for sure. role is for you? So we have an R&D team, right? Mm-hmm. And the R&D
1: team, their whole job is to come up with the flavors, confirm that they are shelf stable, the recipe itself to make sure that the bottle that you have is 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 perfect all the way through we're the next step in that so how it's used quality control from you know clients will say like hey you know this we we want a recipe and we need it tweaked for a, a frozen machine or things like that that's what we do or coming up with recipes making sure that the products are used and articulated the best possible way
0: how much of what you do as far as creating beverages is like the, uh, the art versus science conversation is always <laughs> interesting to me. And so working in beverage for so long, yeah. I'm sure you have a, uh, you know, a well-developed palate for flavors for sure. Uh, and how much of your job is figuring out like technically what works in these drinks and like knowing the experience of, Oh, these are the flavors that go together. These are the things that are popular with consumers. What's that like as far as bringing your experience to what you do? So, you know, I always think of, you know, before when I made
1: exclusively cocktails, spirits and and modifiers operate as a, like, spice mix, right? The goal is to find balance and, and create something beautiful like you're making soup because you're basically making soup every time you're making (laughs) a cocktail, right? And so now what I do is a lot more complex in the context that I do milkshakes and I do Mm. coffee drinks and I do kids drinks and cocktails and frozen drinks and kind of anything liquid and the Moanin palette of colors and flavors is so expansive that it, you know, that makes it a lot more fun. It Mm -hmm. can be difficult in the context of like there's so much to play with. But when it comes to art versus science. You know, there are things that taste great together, and then there are things that taste great to me and things that cra- taste great to you. And there's no wrong way to taste a thing because when we try flavors, it's an emotional response. When we throw up Jaegermeister and it comes out our <laughs> nose, it's a deep emotional trauma that we we hold dear in our heart, mm-hmm. right? And it's because we store flavor response in our epithalamus right next to PTSD, right next to all the good and bad things. And so it's about taking those flavor memories and stories and associations and playing with that, expanding on that and making it more interesting or familiar or comfortable. You know, I, a great cocktail, a great coffee drinker, great whatever is a familiar friend before you even met them. And that's the goal in creating that. So there is a science to understanding how your brain works, how all that flavor works, how what tastes good together chemically, what tastes good together in the flavor wheel. And then there's an, an art to it that is about understanding time and place, understanding storytelling, you know, the best drinks I've ever had make me feel a thing, mm. right? Like they make me, they take me to a place. They remind me of something that's happened to me, or they remind me of a, you know, a, a flavor I miss or an experience I had. Like those are the best experiences we have in food and beverage. And so that part of it is very much an art. There's, there's, there's very little science mm-hmm. in, in that part of it, but it is about, you know, when I, when I'm making a Blue cotton candy milkshake, and I taste it. And I'm like, oh, I. I know this flavor exactly. And going back to, you know, thrifties, right. Like ice cream. <laughs> right.
0: as soon as you said cotton can, I'm like, Oh yeah. Thrifty's the, the blue one. Right? Yeah, exactly.
1: So, I mean, we all have these flavor associations and it's regional, right? Like there's flavors that exist in the South that don't exist here out in the West. Mm. And there, you know, and under having a kind of a global perspective on flavor as much as I can, uh, is, is something I, I strive to do in that storytelling as well.
0: Yeah. And, uh, just before we started recording, we were talking about how these trends kind of change over time and Reno's cocktails and drinks and preferences have changed recently even since the last time you were on the show which was only maybe a year and a half ago is it really yeah, kind of, yeah. time flies uh so yeah can you talk <laughs> a little bit about kind of uh, the trends and kind of how things change in the beverage world because you've been working in a long time Oh, it, so
1: more so now than i've ever been am i aware of trends <laughs> and their overall impact in what we drink you know monin has a whole team dedicated to tracking trends. Mm. We have, I mean, I get trend reports every month about what's what's trending nationally, what's trending in small bars and restaurants, all the way up to national chains and cruise lines, everything else. That stuff changes all the time. It changes, you know, there's there's a whole industry that's there to program the things and flavors you want right now this year so Monin's flavor of the year we have a different flavor every year last year was passion fruit this year is sweet heat so we have a hot honey flavor and by the time that this is Recorded, we I can tell you we have a, a spicy agave oh. that's coming out. It's really good. I'm I'm excited. So those kind of sweet heat flavors, uh, spicy. You know I always joke like what sells better than a margarita? A spicy margarita, mm. right? So that these spicy sweet flavors are are currently very trending. Um, but you know looking forward, the turmeric was a, a flavor of the year. You know they, it changes all the time here in Reno. You know for years people observed us as being behind the times in some ways. I've never felt that way because there's cutting edge bars all the time, like Chapel and Death and Taxes, Rub and Sugar Lime. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, those are guys who were pushing really hard for so long. But now there's way more people pushing hard. Mm -hmm. There's way more people trying to create and make beautiful and new things for us, Mm -hmm. tell new stories and new perspectives. And that's what excites me the most is, you know, for a long time, Reno was kind of a boys club of bartenders. Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing so many, amazing femme associating people bartending which i love you know i just threw my birthday party a few weeks ago and i picked you know four bartenders that i love they're all they all just happen to be femme associating people because i you know they're, they're they're to me the best bartenders in reno right now you know anna vetter obviously is who's been a partner of mine in like many ventures uh, that i've done here in reno has always been my favorite bartender in reno. Yeah, yeah i think we
0: talked about her a little bit on yeah. the
1: last episode too but i mean she she's been that you know there's a, a, a whole bevy of amazing people, but there's new bars like the Honey Bar at um, Reno Public Market. You know, oh, they're, yeah. They're, their team's principally femme associating, and they're like, crushing it and lo martinez who runs that program has been working in bars in Reno forever and you know she started before i started and she's been a rock star wherever she's at but seeing her kind of lead a new team is is really cool to see but you know that's what excites me about the new trend here in Reno is seeing all this new energy it was pretty salty for a while it was pretty we were rewarding a lot of the salty dogs which i love but at the same time i i love seeing new blood i love seeing people try new things and drink wise and take you know more ownership of the bar and new bartenders and making new drinks
0: right on. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad that there is a bar at the Reno public market. We, I had an episode right. with Benny Oliverio um, before it opened and I've been in a couple times. It's an amazing space and I'm so glad that we have all these food options, but having a bar in the center of it, I think also just adds so much value for sometimes you don't want to eat a meal. You want to meet someone for a drink and having a space like that, that includes like beverage options.
1: Oh, it's, uh, is it, pretty great. It's great. You know, I, the concept's great. I've seen it happen in other markets. I'm mm. happy to see it here. It's i uh, just the thing I was never anticipating, and I don't think even they were is how popular it was. Yeah. Like right off the bat. I love I love seeing success stories that are just like we got bumped, we sold all of our product out. We're out of everything. You know, that's the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. And that happened like every weekend for the first like four weeks they were open, which yeah. is crazy. That's unheard of in Reno. So yeah, even congratulations like, to them.
0: Totally. Like yeah, even the, the soft opening before it was all heavily promoted, even those days were just just packed.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, heavily promoted or not, like yeah. I've been a part of stuff that's been heavily promoted that is not nearly <laughs> as uh, ambitious and well received as as that has been at the beginning. So yeah, it's awesome I mean, to
0: see. Yeah, I think it shows the need. Um, so how's your experience, so you've been in the Reno kind of beverage scene for a really long time. Can you talk a little bit about how your experience with connections with people in town? So you know all of these bartenders, you know a lot of these bars. How is that related to what the work you're doing here? So did, are you bringing these kind of uh, creations to our local bars? What's, what do those relationships look like?
1: So, uh, you know, two years ago, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful that I've had a lot of opportunities given to me. Um, I've worked very hard for them. Uh, I've worked very hard for the access that I have being from a small market in Reno, but I also acknowledge that I'm a cis white dude who people say yes to for lots of reasons. One, I'm it's easy for me to speak. I don't suffer from a lot of anxiety. Mm. I'm comfortable around people very easily and I know that's not everybody. So for me, it's about now it's about trying to create as much opportunity for others and be a resource as much as humanly possible because none of this does me any good if it's just mine, right? If it just sits with me. So, you know, while I'm not programming drinks anywhere currently, Uh, I am doing my best to bring, you know, there, if you're listening to this and you're a bartender and you want drinks, uh, or if you want to try them and stuff, I'll bring it to you. I'll Mm -hmm. bring you whatever you need to try it. If you want to come out here, you want to learn. I'm happy to train. You know, I, I was just getting some people set up with there's the only bartender summer camp in the country It's called camp run I used to work for the company that puts it on Um, and I'm telling bartenders all over Reno to sign up for it because that's where my life changed seeing the industry at large you know seeing this huge world outside of Reno and then connecting to the resources in that world and then trying my best to bring them here now I'm in a unique position in comparison to where I was previously where I can provide some of those resources myself and do my best to get I mean if you want to play with pistachio Syrup, I'm happy to bring it to you um, and, and show you how to use it. You know, and that's that's. Y- y- there's no good in gatekeeping in any industry, but with the beverage industry for so long, it was about, you know, this is my proprietary thing. This is what I do that no one else does better. And I don't really believe in that anymore. You know, I I was guilty for sure, you know, in my younger years of thinking that that was my value, Mm -hmm. was the idea that what I had, no one else could have. But when I, the the longer I've done this, the more I realize everyone can be as good as they want to be. It's just truly up to who you ask and asking for help. And I was very, it was very easy for me to do that. I know it's not the same for everyone. So I do my best to be as accessible as humanly possible. So, you know, I'm very grateful that the bartenders in Reno, bar owners, and they're they're still letting me pop in and do silly shit in their bars if (laughs) I want to. Or, you know, I don't, I I stopped drinking like six months ago. I think I'm going to be going sober for good. And we can talk about that too. But I, you know, I just bring bottles of Moan in. <laughs> Yeah. and I'm like, hey, can you make me a peach iced tea with this? Mm-hmm. Cause I, you know, that's, that's just, I'm very grateful I have friends in bars that are still letting me do that kind of stuff,
0: so. Right on. Can you talk a little bit more about the, that process of uh, seeing other markets and traveling and learning more about the beverage industry outside of Reno. So yeah. uh, that's been you know learning more and bringing that back to Reno. And you mentioned the Camp Runamuck and these other things that you've done that are outside of Reno specifically. Can you tell me a little bit more about that experience? For sure. So in...
1: 2013, I went to Portland Cocktail Week, which is my first industry event. Uh, there, I was lucky enough to get a the opportunity to, to have a, like a mentor session with the owner of the company that put the event on, which is called Lush Life Productions. Hmm. Uh, the owner's name is Lindsay Johnson, and I met her. We went to lunch, and I was like, I want to know how to have access to all this stuff. Like I didn't know people were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on bartenders to have parties. And if I needed tools, I shouldn't buy them. If I needed a sample, I just, I didn't know who to ask. I had no idea that this stuff was there. And she was like, well, who do you want to talk to? And was just open and, and amazing, and shared those resources. I ended up working for Lindsay um, in lots of different capacities over the years, between now and then, and still partner with her on a million things. I worked for Lush Life all last year. You know, I only left because this opportunity came to me because I believe so much in what they do over there. But that idea that the world is bigger than the small community that you live in can be lost in a small. You know, it, it, it's it's hard when you're a new bartender and you want to learn more and you just don't know where to go. And and sometimes people just don't want to tell you or you just don't, you're afraid to ask or you think that asking lowers your value that in a job where everyone assumes you know how to make every drink that's put in front of you you don't and that's okay and just asking for help is difficult i acknowledge that and i i'm i was inside outside of the world and i felt comfortable to ask and mm-hmm. i got to do that and because of that doors got opened you know i was the first one from reno to get to go to this camp run amok which now thousands of people have gone every year like last year we had four people from reno go you know and 2800 people every year Apply from all over the world, wow. and only 100, three well, 300 people total get in. Mm-hmm. And so I've gone 11 times, we 12 times this year. You know, every time I meet new people and and and, and see new things, I realize that like, oh, Reno is great. Reno is great cuz we they're, they're, what what feels good here feels good everywhere else like as far as vibe and you know mentality Reno has this great feeling in it that you don't get in other markets and it's hard to lose you lose sight of that when you're just staring at it all the time you leave and you're like oh shit what we have in Reno is amazing and that's part of it too is like you know I was happy to be an ambassador for Reno when I would go to these events and meet people. I'm, mm. I'm proud to be from Reno. I would never be like, Oh, I'm from the West coast. I'm like, no, I'm that, I'm that <laughs> dork from Reno. <laughs> and being the only person in a room of like thousands of people from Reno, mm. which happened so often at the beginning of my career, wasn't scary to me. It was exciting to be like, tell people the stories about Reno, you know, and tell people about what happens here. And now we're on a different stage. Reno's on a very different stage from when I started, uh, you know, Tesla's putting more money in shit, right? you know, like with the people know Reno in a different context. But when I started, it was just like,
0: oh, you're Reno 911, huh? Right. Like like that
1: that was it. And so it's definitely different now, but that bigger world is out there and it's scary for bartenders. And I don't know, I can, advice I can give them is go, you know, get involved. Mm. If you want to go do a thing, go do it. You know, Bartenders Weekend is in San Diego in March. Look it up, bartendersweekend.com. It's a great way. You just got to meet people and you meet like minded people. Nothing feels better than being in a room full of people who do what you do and love it as much as you do. Yeah. You know, and, and that has encouraged the shit out of me over the years. You know, I work here because I had that lunch with Lindsey Johnson. I do everything that I do because of my first time at Camp Run Amok. I, you know, like I am the person I am because I took those small risks to go and try things. And I, you know, it wasn't easy to take time off work for a week to go do these things. Mm-hmm. And it was like, kind of people were like, what are you, wait, what are you doing in Kentucky? What do what, what you, why are you going? Do what you got to do for you. Go yeah. try new things. And if you got that and you want that, go get it.
0: Yeah. What, uh, is it possible to make a good career as a bartender in Reno? I know last time we, it was yeah. it was during the pandemic and I think a lot of stuff was shut down at the time. Yeah. But what's it looking like now in the, in the world of making a career in, in beverage? I love the meme that's like, <laughs>
1: it's like the best paying job without a college degree is bartending also the best paying job with a college <laughs> degree is bartending. And I, I, agree with that. Like I, it, any craft, any trade that you care about, whether it's being a barista, being a chef, you know, anything that's service forward right now is an in incredibly high demand. You know, for years, people saw the service industry is transient and now, after COVID, people it is more transient than it has been because people are demanding higher wages and better treatment. And the way to me to get those things outside of general societal changes is to learn more, to read more, to try more things, to do these opportunities like run mock or go to Mexico and then go try some distilleries. You know, the, the more you can learn, the more you can show, and the more you can show, the more you can earn and you know that's kind of how it comes down to it and in service forward jobs you know the performative nature of tipping and service which i believe we talked about last time you know is still such a huge part of the industry but the way you take control of that performative nature is to educate yourself and become an expert. Mm. You know, I, I the value that I have and what I do is a level of expertise and it's because I've been doing it for a long time, but also because I read about it, I mm. drink it, right. I see it. I, you know, just because I'm sober now doesn't mean I'm not trying new things mm. all the time because, you know, my sobriety was about, where I am personally and Mm -hmm. not really necessarily about wanting to change, you know, like having any other pressures to change. I I'm I'm lucky I don't suffer from a very addictive personality Mm -hmm. or, or any of the chemical sets that come with that. But, you know, still try things, still taste things, still push myself to learn better. And if a new product comes out, I'm like, I want to try it right now. Right. You know, because and, and that makes you knowledgeable, that makes it exciting, but also allows you to get paid more. Mm. You know, and there's, you know, people are like, oh, you're a career server, you're a career bartender. That was a dirty phrase for a long time. I don't understand why, because there's nobility in doing that. If it's for you, if it suits your lifestyle, if it suits your needs, if you have health insurance and you're saving for your retirement, and you're doing your thing and you have the life you want them, why, why the fuck not?
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, a career Career generally has a positive connotation for everything else. So, if your career, anything, it should be a you know a good thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, I mean, I can say that the, the bartender in particular is viewed differently than historically pre like before. Mm-hmm. That people see the craft of bartending in a much better light than they had before.
0: Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? What what change that made like the bartender a more respected profession better than drinks, it was before?
1: The, the expectation for better drinks and then delivering on mm-hmm. that expectation. So, you know. 2010 is kind of like 2008, 2010 is, is, is really what is considered the turning point for cocktails where people around the country started asking for Manhattans and old fashions and kind of wanting better drinks and people like, oh, it's like the whiskey boom happened around then mm. and all these spirits started becoming available. The import spirits started to grow. People's understanding of natural wine and other things they, that all started to grow and that was because bartending got better and the expectation mm. and there's like fundamental bars like employees only and milk and honey and other programs that started in new york that came over here and then you know there's bars in san francisco and that have raised the bar and continue to do so every year every time that happens respect is kind of trickles down to the bartenders in that Mm. situation so i think that's part of it you know that people have have a higher expectation for drinks and then they're receiving that high expectation like oh my god you're you're magic (laughs) you know i that show, there's a show on Netflix called Drink Masters that came out recently, and the joke during the holidays was like, oh, it's going to be everyone's grandma's going to ask why you are not on Drink Masters mm, or, or why. And, and I saw that as a positive thing. It's like, oh, and, shit, your grandma's asking you about right. drinks? That's great. And, you know, doing what I do and being as dorky and knowledgeable as I have been for as long as I have been, my, my family and all my friends have always known that, like, oh, I'm, I, want, I do this for a living. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about making that decision and saying, I do this for a living and not being afraid of that and, and embracing it and leaning into it.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned sobriety. So you, you yeah. don't drink recently. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Coming from a world that is, you know, even though you're working with Monin, you're doing coffee drinks and other non-alcoholic drinks now too, but your whole background is in, in bars and alcohol. Yeah. Uh, so can you just talk a little bit about how that uh, how that works living and working in a world that is so focused on alcohol and uh and kind of the decisions you've made recently you know uh, i did
1: two large events sober and there wasn't out of any choice other than just being like i kind of don't want to drink i only really drink at bars so when COVID happened i stopped drinking like i don't really drink at home and i just kind of lost a taste for it i guess is the best way to put it but i also feel better i love i'm more present which i really enjoy uh, I have more money to buy shoes and shit, which I love. Um, you know, I my wife keeps joking that it's like that's the, my principal motivator in being sober is that I can just buy the clothes I want. Um, but I also wasn't really aware of how much money I was spending at the bar. That's part mm. of it. Uh, but, you know, I, everyone comes to sobriety in their own way. Uh, I think that there isn't a right or wrong way to do it. I think if it is the healthiest decision for you, you should do it. For me, you know, I can taste something and it's not a scenario where I'm relapsing or anything like that. I know that that there are so many people who struggle with addiction and I, it is another one of the many privileges that I have in my life that I don't feel that addictive side of my brain. Mm -hmm. It isn't as impactful to me as it is for other people. So I acknowledge that it's not easy for everyone to stop drinking. I I just stopped, you know, I, it's the same way I quit smoking. I, I, I smoked from when I was like 14 until I was like 23 or 24 and I just stopped one day. So I, I do think it's a kind of me to, do, to to do that but I you know being sober in a world like this, I'm so grateful. I have amazing peers who are sober. My good friend Josh Gandy has a podcast called No Proof which if you're exploring sobriety, it's a really awesome resource especially if you're in the industry. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of movers and shakers and this, that and the other in the industry who don't drink and I you know find them inspiring and always did and I continue to and their journey through sobriety is different than mine. Um, you know, this is new for me, this is, I'm like six months in now, but at this point I don't really see having a drink anytime soon, which is cool. But I encourage you, know, every, we're recording this on February 1st, right? I don't know if you want to timestamp this, but it is a, an important date in the context of not drinking, right? Where everyone goes from sober, like or f- from dry January to February, or some people take February off because it's the shortest month, mm. which a lot of, I have, I have bar friends who like February is their month off because right. it's easier. <laughs> yeah. but the important thing to do after those stints is to take real evaluation of yourself and take a look at, do I feel better? Do I look better? Do I, right. You know, is it easier to wake up? Is it whatever, or is it like, well, oh, I feel fine. I whatever it is. But you know, I think that it's important for people not to like knee jerk react back to things, you know? And, and it's like, I know people staring at you know, crossing the dates off and keeping their clicker encounter, but outside of the time, think about how you feel. And, and for me, Every time, every day that I wake up sober, I feel better.
0: Right on. Hey there, listeners. Sorry to interrupt the show, but I just wanted to take a moment to tell you a little bit about my Patreon account. One of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is make it listener-funded, keep it independent. I like being able to kind of have whatever guests I want, talk about whatever topics I want, without a lot of annoying ads. One way for that to happen is from donations from listeners I have a Patreon account, it's patreoncom slash renoites, and I have various levels you can sign up. You can do a one-time donation if you want, you can Venmo at renoites too, or if you want to sign up on Patreon, even at the tip jar level, it's three bucks a month, which is about a dollar an episode. So, think of it, if you would tip your barista, this episode is about, you know, baristas, bartenders, stuff like that. If you would tip your barista or your bartender a buck, if you would tip a I don't know, a musician at a small bar or coffee shop, a buck. Maybe think about signing up for the tip jar level on Patreon. Throw me a few bucks a month. That really does make a huge difference. It adds up to help make the show financially sustainable. Again, that's patreon.com slash Renoites. And now, back to the episode. I have a handful of friends who also have stopped drinking um, for no particular reason and are very happy with it. And I think that it's something that, I don't know if it's a more broad trend among maybe it's people my age. I'm in my like late thirties. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting that I think a lot of people are, uh, again, not for any particular reason that they're, they're addicted or that they're uh, having a lot of negative effects from drinking, but they just kind of decide, you know, I don't really need to be doing this. I mean, my conspiracy theory is that weeds legal. Like I'm call I'm California. Uh. Sober. Let me
1: be clear about that. <laughs> um, And so I, you know, I enjoy cannabis. I always have. I enjoy legal cannabis way more. The broad spectrum and variety of enjoying that is way different. Mm-hmm. The options for NA drinks have are like light years ahead of what they were. Mm. You know, you can go have like a really great tasting CBD beverage if you want a baby buzz. If you want to have, you know, obviously we're sitting in a room full of hundreds of, of flavor options mm-hmm. just for NA stuff, if it has to be, or for cocktails either way. But like there isn't a bar really in Reno that you can't ask a, a well-trained bartender to make you a mocktail or, right. or, or you know, I hate that term, most bartenders do, but mm-hmm. an NA cocktail or whatever you want to call it. You know, we live in the golden age of soda water, for Mm, for fuck's sake, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) LaCroix and Bubbly's, there's like 900 brands of soda water. So I think that's part of it, is that there's like a lot of really great tasting shit out there and it doesn't have to be with alcohol, which is cool, like I love that. And I think it's fun for people to explore that. And sometimes when you take a break from drinking, like I
0: did, you're just like, this feels better. Yeah has it been fun for you to are you doing more non-alcoholic beverages oh, and has my it been, fridge is has full it been of fun the for you to, shit to, with that <laughs> <laughs> What's in your fridge tell me tell me about some of your, uh, I've your, got, your, like, your beverages I've got
1: like I've got I I've got like Arizona iced teas and root beer and a bunch of NA. Bef- I love those hoppy drinks from or the hop waters from Lagunitas and they just came out with flavors for those, which I love.
0: And they, those are that's a, like a sustainable kind of thing too, right? Isn't the idea that they're using kind of waste material yeah. from the, the beer process and turning it into another drink? Yeah, exactly. They, I mean, they, people pushing to
1: make in a beverage is not for the sake of people not drinking it. I think of the reason why we're seeing such a growth in this this market is because people are stopping, they're, they're exploring it or they're taking breaks and they're, they're imbibing in totally new and different ways. Mm. And, you know, I, again, like in my conspiracy of, I think it's because of cannabis and preparing the country's mentality for a national, hopefully rollout of federally mm. legal cannabis, you know, like, you, it would be great to see a world where people are drinking less alcohol and having going to bars and having cool beverages. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that's bad. I, if I could order a slushy without booze in it everywhere I go, I would probably be drinking that. That's the, probably the one thing I miss at bars is I love a blended drink or a boozy drink or right. a, a blue, boozy slushy, And mm-hmm. generally there's alcohol in it already, but right, right. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that that it's exciting to see people react positively to all these cool new beverages
0: out mm-hmm. there. I know that they just voted down the only cannabis Uh, lounge that was potentially going to open in the area. It
1: broke my heart. Yeah.
0: But uh, do you think, how do you think the cannabis lounge environment, I've never been to a a place where you can smoke cannabis. I don't know where in the United States, if there are places, Um, but what's your experience with those and kind of what's your thoughts on the cannabis lounge compared to the bar environment? What do you expect to see?
1: I was hired to consult a few years, it was about a year and a half ago now with a cannabis company who wanted to kind of concept what happy hours would look like, Mm. what, what service would look like. And I loved thinking through it. It was a really cool exercise to think through what it would look like, how to dose things properly, how Mm -hmm. to go low dose, high dose, things like that. You know? Nevada has really cool cutting edge legislation for cannabis more so than any other state with legalized cannabis.
0: How, how so? I'm not sure what the other States have. Uh, Well, there's the chamber of cannabis here in Nevada
1: that it pushes for legislation. Like for instance, right now, the, the only way you can get a new, and I'm, I'm not sure if this changed recently, but the last time that I looked into it or the last, I was working with the chamber of cannabis, you couldn't be a cis white male and get a cannabis license. You mm. had to be you, you, if you were if you were incarcerated for um, cannabis charges. You you would be a, to the front of the line, oh, right or on. a person of color, or a woman, uh, or femme associating. I, I, you know, I I love that. I think that any time that we're not trying these concepts out, someone else is going to do it for us, mm. and we won't be ahead of it. We showed everyone how to tax properly and how to do it on a commercial level when it comes to cannabis, if you ask me. Like Vegas is a monster. Like you go to those dispensaries and they're huge and there's hundreds and hundreds of people going through them. No one else has that kind of volume except for us. So we get to show people how to do that. Our liquor laws are like, we, we're the people who show how to do, I don't know the right term for it, but like, <laughs> like intoxicants well. Um, and I think that not giving probationary licenses to concepts like this and not like watching it and and taking the data in and looking at it and really helping Mm -hmm. the business take place or bringing in experts, which I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination in in cannabis, but I am in service and what a bar environment looks like, you know, I got reached out by the brands, but if the city had talked to me through it, I had answers, I would have answers for them too, you know? So it's, it's to me a shame to see it get shut down. I think it'll happen in Vegas for sure. It will happen sooner than later. Like a lot of casinos are already built with the concept that it will happen it's sad to see that not at least have the ability to to try right and fail if it fails but succeed in a way that we can be proud of um because there's lots of tax revenue coming in from me personally <laughs> um whether it was from alcohol or from cannabis but yeah. i'm you know happy to do it
0: right i don't like to always compare reno and vegas too much but as a you know long time Beverage expert. Uh Reno's a much smaller market than Vegas. Yeah. Uh, how do you kind of think of those two? Obviously, they're very different in scale. Other, um, but yeah. but beverage-wise and kind of in the industry that you work in, how do you think about the two different I mean there's more parts than just two of Nevada, but the two main areas of Nevada? <laughs> uh, how do you think about those in terms of beverage? The two
1: urban centers, yes. right? That's that's the that's the appropriate. So I, I can say this, like everyone. And I don't, if anyone who knows me who works in the beverage industry in Vegas would like to dispute this with me, please feel free to. But every bartender that I've, I know well in Vegas comes to Reno and is like, I want to do this. I want to be like you guys. And not in the context of quality of drinks, because everyone's making great drinks everywhere right now. Like you, you, this, you can go to an airport and get a well-made old fashion that never <laughs> happened before. Everyone's making good drinks, but we get to be ourselves here. We get to have personality here. There, it's a machine. They're seeing so many people. It's, it's got to be well-oiled and kind of devoid of personality. Right. And that it, we get to be ourselves. Like the bars like Chapel don't really exist down there because they can't. Volume would be too different. You need security. It's like, and also a lot of the casinos want to keep that stuff in their properties, keep bars and concepts that that are that have a draw in their, their properties for rightfully so. Right. Like if you've been to Ghost Donkey and, and I think it's the Cosmo, like that is a killer tequila bar. It's super cool inside, but that bar would also succeed outside of the strip or outside in like a separate context. She wouldn't have millions of dollars to play with to make it look as cool and beautiful as it is. Again, everyone's making great drinks. It's just, we're doing a lot more diy cool wild west do-it-ourselves vibes and they're a lot more big city miami feeling like resort life which is totally different and i love for people to experience it like to go to the two see the difference and kind of see that but yeah next time you're in a bar in vegas take note of how many people are smiling behind the bar and it's not nearly as many as as people up here right now right on that's good to hear I mean,
0: not for the people in Vegas who aren't smiling. Just but. different, just different <laughs> strokes for different strokes. I mean, I'm not smiling after my 900th customer of the right. day or whatever. So. Uh, a couple more questions about Monin since we yeah, are here, yeah, we're in, here. In, in the Monin space. As a brand recognition thing, I know mm-hmm. that you're dealing mostly with the bartenders, with the cafes, uh, with the distributors. Is part of the goal to have Monin also be a more recognized brand and here in the Reno area? So you're, you're making it right here. Uh, so how much of the effort is going into awareness? Like, you know, we're doing a podcast about it right now. What's part of the, the marketing and kind of branding?
1: For, for me, for Reno specifically, you know, the Reno-Sparks-Tahoe greater area, I want them to understand that this size and scale of a company came to Reno for a reason. It was our community that brought them here. It was the tax incentives of Nevada that brought them here. It's the community that keeps people here. You know, I, there are pe- members of our staff who've been renting, and then recently bought homes because they just love it here. You know, they hit that like four or five year mark and they're like, oh, I, this is home now. You know, and, and see that kind of hometown pride when they see a bottle of Monin. You know, there's not a lot. I mean, Vitamix's distribution is like, a, I can see it from the window we're looking at right now. You know, there's there's stuff that's here that, that has kind of, national scale that is still like, can be a hometown hero. But I, you know, for me, I would love to see a Monin product at every coffee shop in Reno. That would make me happy. Cause then I can, you know, expense it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, because then I can, I can help be a resource. That's mostly for me is that like, I, I love to see, you know, um, one of my favorite restaurants, Sip a Saigon and Sparks. Oh yeah, I went. There. You recommended it, and I went there and it was delicious. Eight big shout out to yeah. those guys. I the food out in Sparks is great, but they are what they're doing. I, I I personally think it's one of the best restaurants in Reno. If you haven't gone, please go and see those guys. But they've got a full moaning lineup, and that was before oh. we started. Like I started working out here and started bringing folks out there. And I love seeing it. And when I go by, I I drop those those gals off a a sample every once in a while, just because I like to support, and I want people to try things. You know, it's expensive to try things. It's expensive to buy. You know, a bottle of Monin syrup retails for like nineteen dollars ish around there, depending where you're buying it. And like, if you're a small business, like that's not cheap to try something that may not work. So I'm I, like, when I see people with our products, it makes me happy because then I can help support and our team sees it and they get pride. And the people who come here, cause we bring in hundreds and hundreds of people from around the country. Um, and sometimes like we had a, a group of like 15 from Canada come through here. Like we bring people, we show them to our supporters. Like the Jesse has an amazing cocktail with Monin in it. That I love to bring people in to check out, you know, we love to support, the community, and we know that they're supporting us. But I honestly just don't think people know we're doing this out here, which right. is part of it is, you know, I'm happy to tell the story through drinking, you know, through through having those great drinks. But, mm-hmm. you know, I whenever I go to a cafe and I see our stuff, I tell the barista, I was like, hey, oh, hey, just so you know, that's made out there in Sparks. And did they're they, like, did they know? No. <laughs> and they're like, wait, what? And I'm like, here's my card. Come out. Yeah. Come play with me. I'm happy to support, and I'm happy to, you know, help people innovate.
0: I know you're not the uh, the expert on all things uh, out here in Spanish Springs, yes. but uh, <laughs> you're seeing things grow and change out here. There's, like you said, a lot of industry out here that people don't realize there is good food. Um, yeah. So, yeah, what have you seen kind of out in this area now that you're working out here, you're driving out here? What do you kind of think of food and beverage in the, in the suburban areas? My podcast is almost always about the... I've I've gotten comments that like every episode is like oh it's all about Midtown it's, Midtown. it's about downtown I mean, let- it's it's entirely inside the McCarran loop my show and so uh, I feel like I should probably talk to people who actually live and work not inside the McCarran Loop.
1: I hope more people are listening to your podcast who aren't, but
0: I can say so many people are
1: moving here and looking for podcasts and resources, things like that that, that, that help them kind of know the insider track on Reno. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who are moving here, a lot of them are moving out here. Right, um, That's one thing that I'm seeing. Every day I drive out here, I mean, I, I lived in Midtown for 12 years. I bought a house right by the, like we're off 7th and Keystone in September. And so that was the first time I've lived outside of Midtown in 12 years. And so like, and that's not even, I mean, it's still in comparison to being out here, still very much in Reno, right? And so my world that never came out here, Like my wife's parents live out here. She grew up out here. Uh, I went to I went to Spanish Springs for like an hour. I didn't like that going there. I went to TMCC High right afterwards, but I, um, you know, I, my, my, my dad lived out here growing up. And so I was always aware of it. And only in the context of like, when I was like 17, and then coming out here now every day, it's like the amount of people out here, it's wild. The best Raley's in Reno is in Spanish Springs. The best Save Mart in Reno is in Spanish Springs. It's wild, I mean, I love the Save Mart out here. If you're a grocery store dork like I am, right. uh, which I am, I will go far and wide for a good grocery store. But you know, so many people are moving out here. Anytime anybody asks me, where should I open a bar? Where should I open a restaurant? I say anywhere but Midtown. And not because Midtown isn't great, Midtown is great. I love being able to walk around. I love the energy of Midtown, but it's full and that's okay. There are so many places to service right now. So many people who are hungry for new things, you know, and they're like Sipa Saigon, for instance, like you would never have known it's there, but everyone out here is there once a week. Yeah, it was packed. (laughs) Yeah. And and I eat lunch there all the time. I, I had dinner there on Monday. I brought dinner home from there. Um, I might even bring in their <laughs> home tonight um, but I you know there's stuff out here that you forget about and we've been so lucky for so long to have all the good things in walking distance. Everything is in Midtown it was easy to get to it was right there and like BJ's barbecue for instance, which is in Sparks it's not out here but it's still in Sparks is like a nationally recognized barbecue restaurant is one of the best in the country and I know I talk to people all the time who've never eaten at BJ's and I love they have the best they have the best breakfast in arena I'll go ahead and say that their breakfast on Saturday I think they do it five days a week but they're closed on Sundays for some reason but if you're listening for bj's open up on sundays they uh bj's Barbecue's killer you know and you know michael tragash with yelp and other people have tried to tell the story like audi district and you know there's all kinds of cool stories happening out here in sparks out here in spanish springs you know it, it is a desert with a lot of great stuff but i mean there there is cool pockets but there is a demand out here so if you are listening and you're thinking about opening something take a look out here because you've it's captive audience it's fish in a barrel like there's there's all these families and communities and younger people moving out here because there's nowhere else to move to and all that really affects a community and if everything is in reno then these people maintain being in kind of a culture desert and mm-hmm. it's up to the people who i mean there's a dispensary out here luckily which is good for the people just bored at home but i mean like there's there's lots of people moving here who just stay out here and they have no idea about reno It also right. goes the other direction mm-hmm. you know there's people who move to to spark's from California, Oregon, wherever, and never go to Midtown. Yeah. Right. And it's like we're seeing it cross a little bit with Reno Public Market, where I was like, I bet I've seen a lot of people had Sparks vibes, right? Mm-hmm. Or like like wearing Sparks high t shirts, things like that. I was like, oh, cool.
0: That's there. People are bringing people here. They can go the other way. Yeah. You yeah. Know? It's, it's weird that there's like bedroom communities in some cities where people all come into the city for the things and then they go back home and here it seems like maybe there's also some opposite where people are uh they're coming out to work at tesla or out in like these more you know outer areas and if there was more food and drink and things maybe they would come out for recreation and culture as well yeah and and you know lazy five the library is
1: gorgeous if you've never been to that library it's amazing they also do the drag readings and stuff Mm. there which are killer and like there's a beautiful park there there's you know the you can walk the path at wingfield like or at, at red hockey there's like wetlands like a trail you can walk that's paved so if you're with disabilities you can still enjoy one of the best hikes in reno which oh, is nice. there's not a lot of like disability friendly hikes in this area and that's one of them you know there, there's there's a lot of cool stuff out here that people just kind of neglect and when you're sitting at home and you've been to you know every bar and restaurant in midtown like take a little drive which i was guilty of i will admit it i will be like I'm still kind of guilty of it being like, that's Guam. Like, I don't want to drive. <laughs> I can't drive to the Summit Mall. Are you
0: kidding me? That's 25 minutes. I'm going to yeah. die if I have to drive out that far. Yeah, but very much uh, <laughs> I'm of the same mind very often.
1: But, I I mean, South of Town is the same thing. My wife always jokes that I, like, forget immediately where I'm at as soon as I'm at, like, Damani Ranch. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, there's great charbecue out there, like that burrito thing they do on Mondays killer they have a, like a $5 burrito thing out, and that's out south of town I went to Yum Yum Boba for the first time or I think that's what it's called anyway oh yeah I think so yeah, yeah. best boba I've had in Reno and like that was something I just so we get kind of caught in our own little bubbles especially when you live in Midtown we have so much great stuff at your disposal farmers markets all that great stuff but there
0: is still great stuff in our community and it's
1: worth going out
0: and checking right on uh how can people follow all the stuff you're doing i know you write a column for the news and review now liquid conversations is what the
1: column for for news review is um i previously wrote for edible under drinks on you so it's still archived if you want to read up i did that for i think four and a half years almost five years now i'm at News and review and you can just if you go to the website liquid conversations it has its own like section on the website, mm-hmm. um, MC Moberly, MC M O B E R L Y. The at that at uh, Instagram is a great way to follow what I'm doing. Or Temple Builders LLC. But yeah, that's—I mean—the best way to follow what I'm up to. I'm going to be bringing back hot dogs and highballs, which is like a very su- successful pop-up I did here for the past two
0: years. Yeah, lots of fun. Can you talk a little bit about hot dogs and highballs? Yeah, it, It's like one of my favorite summer things. I love it. I know you're one of the—you're one of the
1: few I'm, people I'm a, who, I'm a regular.
0: <laughs> yeah, you text
1: me, and you're like, "I'm sorry, I can't be there," and it's. Um, so I buy the first 25 or whatever partner we're working with. Last few years, it's been Jim Beam. Um, this year, I'm not entirely sure who we're going to work with yet. We're still in negotiations with some people but um, they we buy the industry if you're in the bar or hospitality industry we'd love to buy your first drink and get you a hot dog I work with uncle buddies which is my Marco and, and Bobby are two of my very good friends and to me the most talented chefs in Reno we work together Months ahead of time to create a menu that's different. We do once a month pop-ups. This year will more than likely be a public house unless something tragic happens, like the patio burns down or something. And we theme it out differently. So I I do a a highball, which is soda, water, bourbon, or whiskey of some kind, um, and lemon, which is like a traditional highball. This year, I'm throwing all that shit out the window and doing like, um, there's going to be soda and there's going to be spirits, but it's going to be wild. We're going to do an Italian disco Is a theme. Mm -hmm. Honky Thought is a a theme we're gonna do. (laughs) Early 2000s hip hop and honky tonk, that's a theme we're gonna do. And then the last theme is kind of a secret that I can't talk about, but when I always do merch, that's like I only make very small amounts of really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. I work with different artists to create different variations of like a hot dog character that I have. Um, The menus only exist for one time. When we sell it, we sell out. It is truly like as capsuled as we can make it because I do want people to come who want to be there, who want to enjoy it. Um, We have music, we have dancing, and, and the food's always really great. Great, the, the the drinks suck because I make them. Um, but we, you know, we work really hard. We have our like our classic dog called the Hayward Classic, which is an all beef frank with <laughs> I haven't done this in a while, so let's see if I remember. An all beef frank, uh, fried green tomato ketchup, fried shallots, and a malt aioli is what goes on top of it. And that's our that's our like classic dog. We do that every time, and then we have two different hot dogs that are different for that theme. So like Italian and honky thought, who knows what we're gonna make for that. <laughs> we always throw, We always try to do a corn dog in there at least mm. once a year, because corn dogs are like, everyone just clamors for corn dogs. We haven't not sold out every time we sell out. We increase the number. I think last year we sold in a, a single night about 380 hot dogs. Um, so, and we still sold out yeah. for some <laughs> reason. So yeah, it, it, it sells out. It's always on a Saturday at Public House, June, July, and August. This year we're gonna do it again. Follow my Instagram to find out and Uncle Buddy's, at Uncle Buddy's Reno, or Uncle Buddy's I think it's just one, but yeah, they're great. Right on. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for coming back on the show. It's you're Like I said, you're my first return guest on the podcast, <laughs> and it's always great to talk to you, and I'm, it's so cool to see this amazing space. I'm glad we're doing video on this episode. I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like on <laughs> where that's going to be. If you're listening, um, I'm sure you'll find the video somehow. Follow my Instagram, too. Uh, <laughs> but thanks for coming back on the show. It's Super good to catch up with you and uh, learn about all this exciting stuff that you're doing. I'm happy to do it, and please keep it up. I love this. You're, you're a great
1: resource for our community. So I appreciate you doing this.
0: Thanks. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites, and special thanks, of course, to my guest Michael Moberly for coming back on the show. Good to have him as a repeat guest. Nice to catch up with him and a great conversation about a bunch of really good topics. So grateful for him coming back on the show and you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any other, do me a favor, spread the word. Word of mouth means everything for a project like this, so, you know, tell your friends, family, share posts on Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. I really appreciate your help. It takes a lot of work and energy to make every week, and I want to make sure it is of value to as many people in the area as possible. This season of Renoites is produced by myself, Connor McWibby, as well as Lynn Lazaro and Ember Braun, and that's all we've got for you this week. Next week is the last episode of this season with former governor and current president of UNR, Brian Sandoval. Very excited about that one. So tune in next week. Have a great day.